Habits and Health, Episode 5. Welcome to the podcast where we give you ideas for habits you can create that will improve some aspects of your health or a few aspects of your health. Today's guest is Fran McElwain. She's a health coach and she helps people around areas with food sensitivities and nutrition and mind-body connection and really helping people to, we're empowering them to, you know, through education so they can take back control of their own health. So we're going to hear a lot more from Fran very soon. And she gives a really good analogy on, on what, how she helps people. So that, that's coming up. There was a, a slight problem with my microphone during this episode. I managed to work out what it was, so it won't happen in any future episodes. But my voice does sound a little bit strange in this, but the main voice you're going to be hearing it is Fran. Please do subscribe to the show so you can get it, get it as soon as it's released every Tuesday afternoon. And please do leave a review so other people get to know about the show and then they can make a decision as to whether it's something that's for them or not. Right now, time for this week's episode. Habits and health. And my guest today is Fran McElwain. How are you, Fran? I'm good, Tony. Thank you very much. And it's, uh, as you were saying before we started recording... Looks like spring is here at last. Oh, is that lovely? I I heard that we just tipped past that ten hours of light a day, which is the signal that tells all the buds to come out and all the all the flowers to push their way up. So really good. I was walking uh, yesterday and saw blossom on the trees, which really lifted my spirits like you can't imagine. <laughs> it's wonderful to see the spring coming back. Do you typically get out quite early in the morning for a walk? Uh, I tend to go out most afternoons, actually. Um, I, okay. I, that is the time in my day when it works. I would love to be able to get out in the morning, but I mm. find I need to kind of, uh, a, a, for me personally, I need to address things in the morning and then, uh, uh, and then be relaxed when I'm walking uh, to get the benefit out mm. of it. But I do try and get my hour Oh, sunlight is a minimum every day or daylight every day. Definitely a good habit. And you um, help people around sort of health and you're, you're what? You're a health coach. I'm a health coach. That's right. So I'm all about helping people to uh, change their habits, uh, take up new healthy habits. Uh, I'm never – I'm just – what amazes me is how important small things are in our lives and how the small things add up to create really, really big change. And so just tiny little shifts in our daily habits and the things that we do on a regular basis can have a huge long-term beneficial impact on our health. And it's those sorts of little tricks that I like to unlock for people to give them access to exactly those things which will help them reconnect with themselves and feel that new or a resurgence of energy so they can feel like themselves again. And what was it that led you down into doing this in the first place? I mean, what, what were you doing previously? Oh, I think my story is will be familiar to, to a lot of people, a lot of, a lot of women, um, I used to have a kind of big old corporate job, uh, super stressful, lots of traveling, <clears throat> lots of responsibility. And I kind of thought I ate reasonably well. I used to have veggies and um, I would occasionally go to the gym. 
And I was really, really um, surprised when I actually got a, was diagnosed as uh, pre-diabetic. I knew I'd put on weight. I knew I wasn't as fit as I could be. Um, but I hadn't really expected to have a um, to have a medical issue. Uh, I knew I was exhausted. I was tired the whole time. I had all sorts of aches and pains. I slept really badly. And I kind of thought that that was just a part of getting older. At that time, I was sort of in my mid to late 50s. And, you know, I, I just kind of expected that you put on a bit of weight around your tummy and that you get a bit of an achy hip every now and again and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I was really shocked by this diagnosis and um, <clears throat> I kind of felt really depressed, actually. that w w One of the big issues was, um, uh, you know, that I've actually wrestled with for a lot of my life was this kind of ongoing uh, depression that would sometimes sort of swoop, swoop over me. And this uh, diagnosis was kind of really tipped me over the edge. And uh, I was quite scared that here I was in my late 50s with a health condition. I was putting on weight and I was a bit worried about the future. If I felt really rubbish then, I was scared about how I was going to feel in the future, I was scared that things were only going to get worse um, from from then on in. And uh, I had a kind of very odd and surprising experience, which was that my um, my son uh, <laughs> was teasing me basically about um, my love of uh, croissants. <laughs> I was kind of getting outside my second or third croissant over a family brunch. And he said, we were, it was about this time of year, we were coming up for Lent, so a little bit earlier. And he said to me, I bet you couldn't give up bread for Lent. Um, I thought, cheeky sentence. So, uh, okay, I'll, I'll give up bread, bread and, and, uh, and uh, for sure I'll give up bread for Lent. And more than that, I said, I'm going to give up gluten. I'll give up all gluten for Lent. I'd kind of been doing a little bit of reading about, you know, tummy fat and fatigue and stuff like that. And I kind of had come across that gluten might have been an issue. So uh, the challenge, the gauntlet had been thrown down and I rose to the challenge and I gave up um, and I gave up all gluten for Lent. And the first few days were absolutely miserable. I was, oh, headaches off the scale, <clears throat> cravings like you can't imagine, uh, just really, oh, exhausted. I just felt I had to go to sleep the whole time. And um, But I thought, no, I'm not going to let this 16-year-old uh, get the better of me. And I kind of powered through. And about two weeks into my little experiment, I was down, um, I got up in the morning and I was downstairs putting the kettle on. And I thought, you know, something's different. Something, what is different about this morning? And then I realized I didn't, didn't have a headache. And it was like, you know, when the... When the washing machine stops, it's spin cycle, and you suddenly kind of enjoy the quiet. Uh, it was, I, until that moment, I hadn't realized that I had woken up every single day with a headache, thinking that this was normal. And of course, it's not normal. No one should wake up with a headache. And I thought, wow, this is great. And then a couple of days later, I had this huge surge of energy and all this depression, this kind of, uh, you know, just feeling um, rubbish 
just kind of lifted it, just evaporated. And I thought, this is bizarre. I, 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 was, I thought, this is bizarre. How can just changing this one thing in my life make such a big, big difference? I lost weight. I lost about, over the course of the month, I lost nearly a stone, really without trying. And I thought, I'm going to have to learn about this. I'm going to have to understand what is going on here, because if this small thing had such a big difference in my life, what other small things, you know, could make a big difference? And, you know, what are the rules here? How does this game work? And so, again, I kind of, you start where you are and you do what you can. And so I, I um, trained in integrative nutrition. Um, initially, it was t- for myself to learn about my own health. And uh, the more I learned, the more fascinated I became in the whole process and realized the, you know, the huge significance of the daily choices that we make each day and how what is normal for most people is really, really not optimal. And this huge difference between what our, um, you know, what our DNA has been designed around you know, what our body understands as food and what we're actually eating for the most part these days. Um, you know, the difference between that is significant. And it's when you understand that difference, if you understand how the body uses food as information to kind of understand how safe it is in the world and the importance of that, of the quality of the food that we ingest to help our body do what it wants to do, which is to look after us. Um, once you understand that, you there's no going back. You you want to make the best possible choices. And for my part, I wanted other people to feel like this. I wanted to unlock these secrets for everybody else because it was so empowering. It was so exciting. It was honestly, it was like having a, a veil lifted. It was like sort of the fog evaporating. And, um, and I, and I felt great. I felt absolutely fantastic. And I went on to, uh, um, after studying integrative nutrition, I started working as a health coach, um, helping people with their sort of daily choices. And then I wanted to take it a bit further and studied functional medicine for coaching um, to really um, be able to dig deep with people's issues, uh, you know, especially chronic issues. So many people today struggle with um, the sorts of things that, I mean, that so many people today struggle with dis-ease and it's become normal it's you know we all talk about our achy backs or uh we talk about our cravings as though you know we joke about our cravings ha 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 how could i possibly give up chocolate as though it's normal to be addicted to anything it's not normal to be addicted to anything whether it's food or whether it's alcohol or anything else it's it's um a sign of some sort of dysregulation and we become so used to these little dysregulations that we just accept them as part of our life and uh, and that is the exciting thing about what I do is to is to help people reconnect with uh, their relationship with food, their relationship with themselves, simply through the small choices that they make every day. And those small choices have a big impact. And that all started from daring you to give up bread. Yeah, from my cheeky son. <laughs> I thought you little so and so when you said that, but actually I am eternally grateful. <laughs> and isn't it amazing in life how you know there are kind of flexion points that happen that are really significant 
and you don't see them in, in that moment. You know, it's only when you look back, you think, oh my gosh, that was a moment when I made a choice that was mm. really important. And, and, and that little choice to give, you know, to give up gluten for me was, was a big life changing thing. Now, I'm not saying that gluten is a problem for everybody, not at all, but you know, what, mm. what is exciting is to be able to find out what are the exact issues for each person. For me, gluten was a big deal. Mm. But it's not the case for everybody. And that's, and, and that's, again, a really important point because there is no one-size-fits-all. You know, mm. there's no one diet that works for everybody or one mm. approach that works for everybody. And the question is, is how do we tailor, how, how do we tailor things for each person's individual mm. needs and individual lifestyle and individual requirements? We're all different. We all need different solutions. Well, we're going we're gonna to come back to that a little bit later on, but I want to just touch upon how easy or difficult did you find? I mean, you obviously went through quite a bit of training. Once you decided you were going to go on that goal, how easy or difficult was that training that you did? Um, it wasn't that difficult um, because I was so fascinated in it. It was so relevant to mm. uh, to my life and, and my experience and, and you know, to the people around me um and so i was really um yeah i was just fascinated by the whole process and couldn't couldn't learn enough and just kind of went on and still i mean i still i'm still learning and and uh you know keeping myself up to speed with things because you know the more you get into something the more complexities you see and the more intriguing it, it becomes and and the fact is our bodies are astonishingly beautiful wonderful things and um the way they work the magic of of the biochemistry is is breathtaking and you know the way it is the system is so elegantly designed to find its own balance you know given the right tools you know fresh air sunshine clean water good food the body will heal itself. The body naturally wants to heal itself. That is its default position. And, you know, the problem is that life today, you know, puts so many of the wrong the wrong tools in front of us. It's so easy to spend all day in front of a screen, especially at the moment. Um, it's so easy to eat uh, foods that give us a kind of short-term lift, but you know, create long-term problems. Um, and it's, it's, it's hard to make positive choices. And, and one of the main reasons it's so hard is because it's actually a little bit deep. You're deviating out of the norm. You know, you're, you're behaving in a way that is different from most people and there's a huge societal pressure to conform. And if most of society is eating and living in a way that is detrimental to health, it is hard to step aside and start to make choices that, that, that are different from those that are generally made. So when you're working with clients who are facing those kind of pressures that you just mentioned, how, how are you able to help them kind of move through those uh, pressures they're feeling? I, I think having someone go on the journey with you who believes in your ability to um, to achieve what you want to achieve makes a huge difference. And uh, when people understand what is going on in their bodies, 
um, you know, when they eat a donut or whatever it might be. You know, when you understand what's happening, it's much, much easier than to make po- positive um positive choices. So yes, um, information and education is, is really, really important. Um, but also, I would just like to talk about for a few minute, moments about this whole topic of addiction. I think it's, it's a kind of difficult area to go to, but it's, it's really, really important. Um, food, particularly processed and um, you know, processed carbohydrates are very, very addictive. They trigger the um, the opiate pathways in our in our brains, and um, it's there is a there is a definite process whereby we self medicate with food. Um, you know, so grains trigger opiate pathways, um, dairy products um, trigger dopamine pathways, and uh, you know, you, you we're kind of like rabbits in the headlights with all of this sort of processed packaged food that is in front of us. And, you know, in my former corporate life, um, I used to do, um, I used to do a lot of new product development for FMCG, fast moving consumer good food companies. So I had clients like PepsiCo and Mars and Nestle, who I love working with, by the way, but I know the process. I have seen firsthand the process by which Foods are designed specifically and deliberately to be addictive and to get people to eat more of them. And it makes sense, you know, if you if if I was a food company, I'm in I'm in business to make money, um, I would want to I would want to make products that people want to eat, and I would want to do what I could to make sure that the products I made were eaten regularly and often. And so, you know, the sort of conversations we would have in, in our new product development meetings with the uh, food scientists, I mean, there's a giveaway right there, would come in their white coats, and they would be talking about things like mouthfeel and melting point and bliss point and, you know, all of these terminologies that, you know, they would get the exact balance of sweet and salt so that you you can keep on and on eating and the way that foods change texture so that you can keep on and on eating because in natural foods, you know, you can, um, you know, if you have a bowl of soup, you know, okay, it's got lovely, uh, uh, you know, broth in it. It's got vegetables. There's a point when you think, you know, I've had enough soup. I, I, you know, I've got my, my tummy's full. I've had the nutrition and this, I'm getting the same taste all the time, the same texture all the time. I've had enough. Whereas if you think about processed foods, the way they crunch and the crunch turns to a kind of melt and you've got, um, you, you, you've got a whole kind of different uh, experience and each bite you get reminded of that new experience. You can keep going and going and going and there's a certain crisp brand that their advertising premise is that you, once you start, you can't stop. And that's because those particular products are engineered, they're completely false fake food and have been engineered to have that exact sweet salt balance that you can eat indefinitely. There's no way you could sit in front of a bowl of sugar and just eat it. But if you have, you know, the sugar with salt, I mean, salted caramel is, is like heaven for, for food manufacturers because that combination of sweet and salt, we can eat that indefinitely. 
and we can get all our mm. you know addictive pathways fully fired up um and that's why we keep going back we keep going back for more so i you know i like to say to my clients that i want you to be in the position where you're choosing what you want to eat we don't want those men in white coats to be making decisions for you you know we don't want it's not mr kipling or betty whoever it is you know who should be deciding what you eat for breakfast or tea it's you and your body and those are it's you and your body that's important in this whole decision making process not anybody else is there what would you say is the most common issue that you find with your clients that they they struggle with the most cravings no right. no question about it cravings because <clears throat> um you know for some people, it's, it is literally like they're being taken over. You know that the 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 cravings are so are so strong. Um, and you know we have a huge amount of sympathy for people who are giving up alcohol or who you know are, are sort of um, overcoming a, a, a problem with recreational drugs because we understand that that's a kind of chemical issue. But when it comes to food, we accuse people of being greedy. We accuse them of being lazy. There's a huge amount of blame that's kind of lumped into the whole thing. And really and truly, there is no, there is no blame. You know, you, 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 we're presented with this whole kind of array of um, foods that we, th we think are giving us a huge choice. But if you actually look at it, what are the, what are the main ingredients? You've got wheat, soy, corn is in everything soy dairy it's five main ingredients that are in most processed foods so we look at all those aisles with the these biscuits with chocolate chips and those salty crackers that you know and we think they're completely different products but actually they've got the same ingredients in them and this is uh, you know and this is why we get addicted to these foods because we eat them all the time they're everywhere and this is also why we start to have problems with these foods because we're eating them so much that we it you know can trigger reactions and things like that so so yeah so that's the you know cravings big big issue and it's not and you know I say to anybody if you if you struggle with cravings if if you find that you're kind of good for a while and then you just crumble this is not this is the this is the food talking it's not it's your it's your addiction talking this is not you so um and, and i think for a lot of people it's like a huge relief to know that it's not to do with them being weak it's not a question of willpower um it's a question of it's a question of biochemistry and hormonal balance and if you can get the biochemistry and the hormonal balance working in your favor the cravings disappear they evaporate and um, the hunger goes because you're eating the right food for you. And and then the whole thing becomes incredibly easy. And, and then people say to me, oh, my gosh, I had no idea. I mean, literally two weeks in, people are going, this is a revelation. And, uh, yeah, that's, uh, and, and that's where it gets really exciting. That's where it gets really exciting. And then, you, you know, you know that people are, are on their way. But, you know... Even for me, there are, and I've been on this game for a long time, and I'm 
by no means the healthiest person on the planet. But, you know, I still have my down, my down moments. I still kind of get, um, have my struggles and, you know, find myself getting outside of something that I shouldn't, shouldn't be. Um, and so I kind of really get it. I, I just really, really get the whole deal around why we eat, why we eat what we do eat. And, you know, and how to, how to, how to step away from that pattern. How to, okay, this was today. I did this today. Now I'm going to move on and do something different. Just because I've, just because I made a bad choice today doesn't mean I have to make a bad choice tomorrow. Do you have a particular niche? Is there like a sort of typical type of people that you work with? Um, I, I just want to help the people who feel I can help them the best. I suppose I tend to work with, um, with women, um, uh, simply because it's easy, you know, it's kind of easier to have that relatable conversation for them. You know, I've been through menopause. I know what it's like to be overweight. I know what it's like to feel like you've not got a single thing that you can wear. <laughs> uh, you know, I've been there. I've, I really, really get it. Um, and I think that is comforting for people. But I have male clients as well um, who sort of present with a variety of chronic um, conditions such as uh, you know, arthritis or um, or IBS or something like that. So I I am I do not sort of restrict myself to a kind of very particular niche. Um, I, it, my work is basically about helping people to unlock their own unique health code, whatever it might be, so that they then understand exactly what are the best choices for them, um, and and that they can then make their decisions from a place of strength, um, so that you know. You, you may be sensitive to gluten or dairy or cucumbers or whatever it might be. It doesn't mean you can never eat those things, but you, you understand what is causing what and what the implications are and how to, you know, how to recover from uh, these things. And, it, you know, and I think it's that clarity that makes a big difference for people. So, no, it's, it's anybody who's looking for that sort of clarity and who wants to feel more in control of of their daily choices and, and what serves them and what doesn't. You mentioned a couple of times habits. Uh, what, are your, what are your thoughts on habits and why, why do you think people struggle with habits so much? Um, there's, a lot of, there's a lot of interesting stuff around, around habits. And basically, as, as kind of human beings, we like what is known um, and we like, uh, you know, we like to stay within our comfort zone. And anything that is different or changes the way of our daily routine, there's a kind of natural inbuilt resistance to it because we don't really know what that new, whatever it might be, or that you know, uh, will look like. And uh, and it's and it's really interesting how um, sophisticated our brains get when it comes to coming up with reasons why we shouldn't, um, you know, for example, get up and go for a walk in the morning. The very first question with me, I came in with a whole bunch of perfectly rational excuses as to why that didn't work for me. I know that I should be going for a walk in the morning. You know I should be going for a walk in the morning, but I kind of 
you know, persuade myself that it's better for me to do it another time of day. So we all do it. You know, it's all part of it's all part of life. And the you know the thing is just to kind of uh, uh, recognize it, see it, see it for what it is, and you just kind of like okay, that's it, and I'm going to this is what I'm working towards, and be curious about yourself and your responses to these things. Okay, why why was that you know. Why is it kind of really triggering to think of not looking at my phone first thing in the morning? Why do I try and kind of feel? And asking yourself those questions, being curious about why you respond in a certain way, kind of just opens the door like a little chink into thinking that maybe there's another way you could do things. What, do you have any clients that you work with who are under the impression maybe they've tried lots of times in the past, they've had diets that have failed, They've tried to do New Year's resolutions. They've always failed, and they just had this mindset: I just can't do, I just can't do these kind of things. And they just didn't think it was going to work. But but you were able to get them through it, and it just really surprised them. I, I think that's like all of my clients. <laughs> I mean, we've all, you know, who hasn't made a resolution? And there are all sorts of reasons why we don't honour the commitments we make to ourselves. And that's quite that's a whole complex um, topic right there. On, on its on its own, you know what 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 is it that motivates us? Is it our uh, you know d- does does our motivation come from internally within ourselves, or is it, do we need to be accountable to someone external to ourselves? So that is all part of the that is all part of the process. Um, but yeah, no, who hasn't you know uh, been on a diet and you're great for a while and then it all crumbles. One of the main reasons for that is this whole, um, when it comes to dieting, this whole kind of calories in, calories out business. It all sounds so logical and so comforting and it's just, yeah, it makes sense. It's like a car and you put so much fuel in and it'll run for so many miles. Of course that makes sense. But our bodies actually, in all their elegance and beauty, are much, much more complex than a car. And we don't work in on a fuel out, fuel in, energy out basis. And what happens if you run at a fuel deficit for too long? I, they reckon it's about 10 weeks. So if you run at a fuel deficit for you know more than 8 to 10 weeks, what happens is your everything, just about every single hormone in your body is working against you carrying on in that way because it's not natural and you won't thrive. So... So that's why we've all been to, you know, most of us have been to Weight Watchers or we've done Slimming World. We've done great. You know, we've lost the weight and and we, we feel like a million dollars. We get the new clothes and uh, everything's wonderful. And then we wonder why 10 months, a year later, we've actually gained everything back again plus plus a bit. That's because we were forcing our body to behave in a way that it wouldn't do normally. And if you think about your central heating, working on a thermostat, you've set the room temperature for 22, I don't know, what, whatever it might be, and you find it's a bit hot, so you open the window, the thermostat is going to, what it's going to do is kick up the central heating a notch to raise, keep the temperature at 22. And that's what happens when we're, an equivalent sort of thing is what happens when we're on a, calorie deficit diet is our internal thermostat, so our metabolism, if you like, 
although metabolism is much more complex than just our energy management, but our internal thermostat is going, okay, if, you've, if, you're, if you're trying to lower the temperature, I'm just going to you know, rub it up, and so you'll get more hungry. Yeah, you'll get more hungry. You'll start to feel tired because the body wants to lower your energy um, consumption and up your calorie intake. And so then you start again with the whole cravings thing and all the rest of it. And that's, you know, and, and so the trick, the real trick, is to eat plenty of the right sort of food so you're not feeling hungry, you're fully satiated, you're not falling into the addiction trap. And then the whole thing is really, really easy and it is sustainable over the long term. And it doesn't matter if you have a slip up, you just get back, it's easy to get back on the horse because you, you've already experienced the benefits. Does that make sense? Absolutely, it makes sense. And it's a great analogy you used as well, yeah. And I'm wondering, so typically are you, what would you say is the typical sort of time period that you're working with your clients? Um, I like to work with people for, for a minimum of three months, um, simply because that is about the speed that nature, nature works. We, we were talking at the beginning of this conversation about the, you know, the, the bulbs coming up and the blossom appearing. And, you know, as the seasons shift, it's it's about three months between each each season, and that is a natural uh, speed at which nature evolves. And of course, when you're healing naturally, you know uh, you, you have to honour the natural process. We're used in uh, with you know pay, with headache pills and uh, and all of this to get an instant response because it were kind of using these uh, medications. We're kind of slamming the body around a bit. Whereas if you take a more natural approach, it is gentler and therefore it does take a little bit longer, but it lasts. So, yeah, a three, three months minimum, six months is great, particularly if there's a sort of um, more, um, you know, sort of long-term issue. Uh, as a rule of thumb, for every year that you've had a condition, it's going to take a month of um, of, of natural uh, healing therapy to, to to bring about a change, and of course it takes people a little while as well to kind of get into the rhythm, you know, to make the shifts mm. that are necessary to kind of adopt the new habits and so on and so forth. So there's a little bit of an adjustment period, and then you need to have kind of three months to see the benefits, and then mm. um, and then and then there you are. And it is so like it is so like. Um, the, the, the whole kind of emergence of spring thing, because we know through winter, we know that the bulbs are still there and that we know that the, the leaves will turn green, but we can't see any evidence of it. Um, and then when it happens, it's just wonderful confirmation and that's why it's, it so much lifts our spirits. And it's the same with natural healing. Sometimes there's all sorts of things happening um, that we can't see, because they're happening at a cellular level, and then we see, then we start to see, our, you know, experience our own internal springtime, and we start to see the fruits of of all our new, of all mm. our new choices, and that's and that's when when things are really exciting. How how do we how do people get in their own way? What what is it that they do? Oh, there. We get in our own way um, 
in so many ways, there's so many ways we get in our own way. We, um, we maybe have an internal narrative uh, that um, blocks us. I, I had a, um, a client uh, quite a few years ago now who was struggling with her weight. She was, you know, um, in her late 50s as well, really struggling with her weight, had done all this kind of um, dietary business in the in the past. She'd lost 10 pounds, lost a stone, ended up putting back another stone, another stone. And she was kind of really, really struggling with her weight. And we made huge progress. She was really committed and she really um, was doing extremely well. And then she suddenly just everything just kind of imploded and, and, and went wrong. She was found it impossible to resist certain things. She gave, she gave up all the kind of positive changes that she made and all sorts of things. And we were really kind of digging deep to kind of, okay, what's going on here? Why just when you were on, on the point of real success, what was it that kind of got in the way of you really getting hold of what you wanted? And we had long discussions around the, around the whole subject. And what transpired was that she came from uh, a family that was, that was quite overweight. All of her, um, she had two sisters and they were both um, overweight as well. And what she had was a deep-seated fear that if she lost weight, her sisters wouldn't love her anymore, that she would be different from them. And, uh, and, her, her relationship with her sisters kind of outranked her relationship with herself, and uh, and and this is just a you know a very very common um, type of scenario. So people believe kind of at some deep level that thin people are mean, or healthy people are boring, or um, I don't know, or or you know that. It, it, it's limiting to, to kind of, um, you know, picky eaters. Oh, picky eaters, that's a big one. How many of us as children were told that we shouldn't be picky eaters and that it's rude, you know, when you go to somebody's house to say, sorry, I'm not eating this at the moment. Yeah, and, and so there are all these kind of deep um, sort of narratives that we've internalized as human beings. And then when we come to try and kind of shift things around for ourselves, that you know, these, these things come to the surface. And, they, and often, until they're articulated uh, and recognized, they can't, they can't be dealt with. So I have, a, I have a, um, a process I take my class for, which is, through, which is all about um, uh, you know, understanding what are the stories that they tell themselves. And questioning, mm. and then we, is it is this true? Is this a, is this a fact, or is this something that you've just that you just believe to be the case? So that's a very 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 common scenario that there's some kind of, um, well, I don't deserve, you know, I don't deserve to be uh, thin and healthy. You know, I'm not good enough. I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. You know, this is these are sort of um, programmings that go that go in early, um, and they're all designed, you know, to keep us, to keep us safe, keep us within our comfort zone, keep us within the, the known, um, and, and, they, and they flare up if, the second we start to step outside our, our, our kind of our zone of, of um, quote-unquote normal. 
So it's a uh, yeah. So it, it's, it can be you know the journey to health is 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 a physical one, but it's it's also hugely hugely a mental one as well. And that's that, why support that lady, is so important. That lady you mentioned who had those issues about her sisters and so on. Well, did she manage to resolve that in the end? Yeah. Um, it was um, it was actually a very fascinating process because guess what happened? All three of them lost weight um, because they were able to have a conversation about it and um, and you know you know how families work and you know we're we're like this and everybody everybody else is like that and and um, and you know they'd kind of reinforced their their position with this with this idea that, um, you know, thin people weren't fun was their big issue, that, that, that thin people weren't fun. And we were able to, I, I didn't, that, that the other sisters weren't clients of mine, but through my one client, she had this beneficial effect. When she resolved the issue and she had the conversation with her sisters about, you know, this, I really felt that this was a big issue for you. And, well, hang on a minute. And then they, it was just like liberating for, for everybody. And this is the other wonderful, wonderful thing about what, what we do is that you know a small thing you don't know where the ripples are going to end and where who's going to benefit from a thought or a conversation or a new way of looking at things hmm. we, we touched upon before about the um you know in all the training that you've done to, be, to, you know, to become qualified for what you do now and and you kind of you alluded to how much that you actually enjoyed that whole process and so i i presume therefore do you probably do you read a lot I do read a lot. Yes, I, I, I love reading. Um, there's actually a very fascinating um, person called Gretchen Rubin. I don't know if you've heard about her, who, who's, um, uh, you know, who works out these kind of what are our motivators. And I'm, according to Gretchen Rubin, I, I'm definitely coming to the question questioner uh, box. So I, I, for me, it's really important to understand why, why something, you know, why this makes a difference, why is this important. And so I do tend to kind of naturally to read up around around things. Which is why when I you know when I experienced this big kind of initial shift in my health, I was really I wanted to I wanted to understand all about it. Um, but mm. I have to confess that yes I do in a work context I do a lot of reading and I do a lot of research and I I do a lot of studying. But when it comes to me personally, I read the most awful drivel <laughs> because I really like as well to to switch off. So I like, um, you know, going, you know, before I go to bed, I have uh, I like to read something that's not going to alarm or upset me just before I go to sleep. So I read things like Maeve Binchy or um, I like, uh, you know, Trollope. I like those sort of stories where I know it's going to have a happy ending. Um, and uh, uh yeah, so that's you know we, we we there's our leisure time and there's our kind of uh, our professional development, which are kind of different things. So, do you make sure that you never read anything sort of business related before you go to sleep? And it's always just something that's going to be nice to give you a nice easy sleep, sort of. Most uh, most of the time, um, I, I'm a great um, advocate for having a kind of pretty solid bedtime routine. I think it really helps us to, mm. to sleep well. Um, so I tend to go to bed at around about the same time and I kind of go through the same processes and then I kind of, uh, you know, like to read. I maybe only read 
paragraph if I'm pretty tired or two before I nod off. But, you know, I like to, to read every night. And, yeah, if, if I'm reading kind of horrible things about people being mean to each other, oh, no, I don't want to go to sleep with those thoughts. <laughs> and before we started recording, you, you, you mentioned meditation. So is meditation part of your wind-down routine? Yeah, meditation is really, really important to me. I'm, I'm actually also training at the moment to um, uh in, in Reiki as well. So I, I really um, think that the whole kind of process of, uh, you know, managing how the energy flows through our body is really, really important. And um, meditation is a key, key part of that. When I when I first started med- meditation, uh, I was super, super stressed. I'd, I'd just given up my corporate job, I was, which is all about kind of do, do, do and be, be, be. And, um, and I joined a Medicaid, it was actually, um, the mindfulness class. It was the, from uh, John Kabat-Zinn. I so totally recommend it. Uh, but I would sit in those classes and I would just be like roiling and boiling in rage. I was just like, what do you mean pretend I'm a piece of seaweed? How ridiculous is this? And ah, how come everybody else gets it? And if I can't even sit still, you know, I can't do anything, all that kind of stuff. And I would get really, really, um, I, I, I find it really difficult to to adjust. And about seven weeks into my eight-week course, I was doing my homework because I thought, like, I paid for the course, I might as well do it. And so I'd kind of I'd just gone through the steps. And then I had that kind of uh, that meditation experience when you, you actually get that sort of exp- expansion. I can't really put it into words. It's that fantastic sense of calm, con- connection, you know, part of, but you feel part of things, and um, oh yes, now I understand. Oh my God! If only the penny had dropped right at the beginning, and but that was, and that was fantastic. So meditation, yes, 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 and and it has been proved to do so much in terms of how we re- our brains are wired. It, it reestablishes kind of positive neural pathways. It lowers blood pressure, it switches off cortisol production, um, and as we all know, stress and cortisol um, are big reasons why some of us, you know, myself included, are not were not as healthy as we could have been. Um, so yeah, I'm, I'm a great advocate to for meditation, and and I'm also a great advocate for kind of like pushing through the pain because. You know, I was so massively resistant to it, and oh, this is pointless, and uh, all of that sort of stuff. And then, and then I'm so glad I stuck with it and pushed through because that's when you get, when you get to the other side of all that resistance, that's when the real, the real benefits kick in. It's a shame, isn't it? So many people. I guess it's a symptom of society today that people we we want shortcuts for everything, and so we want things. To be, we want the benefits within a few days. You know, we don't want to be waiting weeks or months. Cool, that's too long. And it's it's very difficult to get benefits of meditation just within a few days. Oh no, no, it take, it, it 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 takes it takes a bit of doing. And but the thing is, this this sort of um, need for instant gratification is 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 actually at the root of so many of our problems it's why we you know it's why we turn to chocolate it's why we turn to a glass of wine at the end of the day it's because it, we get an instant reaction um which 
in that moment feels good, but then there's, you know, we, we, you know, we have too many of those glasses of wine, we feel like rubbish the next day. And, you know, we all know the consequences of too much chocolate. So it's, it, it, it's that need for instant gratification is something that is really worth being curious about. Why? Why, why do I want this? What is, what am I, am I really going to benefit from, from this? Mm. You know, what would happen if I did something differently? And how would I feel if I did something differently? And, and just kind of open yourself up. You don't have to change the way you behave. Just open yourself up to the possibility of doing things differently. And that's the first step of, of, of actually you being in control as opposed to anything else. So would you say you help many of your clients actually adopt meditation as a, as a practice? Uh, it's always on the table as, a, as an option. Um, I, my approach is very much, I offer up suggestions to people and I explain why I'm offering them up and, um, and, you know, I, uh, one of my colleagues, um, talked about opening the door and it, but it's up to the client to kind of walk through it, which I think is a great analogy. That's absolutely what it is all about. I'm not about forcing people. It's, there's no judgment. There's no, um, you know, there's nothing prescriptive in my in my work with people. It's just like here is an opportunity. Let's think about it. If it works for you, you know, let's go ahead. If it doesn't work for you, let's kind of think about something else that might work. So you know, if people aren't up for full blown meditation, you know, just just breathing techniques really really work. Um, personally, I love the four seven eight breath. Breathe in for four, hold for seven, and then a nice, long, slow exhale for eight. Do four rounds of that. Cortisol switched off. You're kind of totally back in the zone. I, 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 and that is a very easy, easy to do. And I love these things. They're completely free. And, you know, this, that, the four, seven, eight breath literally takes 90 seconds. And um, anybody can do it. It's, it's you know, it's a great thing. Mm. I have a, a story about why these things work. I don't know. Um, a great friend of mine was a dog trainer, and he had a client who had a beautiful, um, I think it's a Weimaraner, Vi- Weimaraner, I'm not quite sure how you pronounce it, one of those beautiful, beautiful dogs, sleek, lovely. Mm. And um, this, this puppy was... Um, like absolutely terrified of everything. It was terrified of people. It was terrified of lampposts and traffic and dogs and children and cars and every, And it spent its whole time with its tail clamped between its legs and was super stressed um, about everything. And my friend, the trainer, tried, you know, tried positive reinforcement, tried treats, tried lots and lots of affection, tried... Um, you know, just like gradually getting the dog used to other dogs, complete freak out. Um, nothing worked. And in the end, he said, I had no idea why this occurred to me. But kind of in desperation, he was just looking at this poor dog shivering away with its tail clamped down. And he tied a piece of string to the dog's tail and tied the other end of the string to the dog's collar. So the dog's tail was up. And instantly, the whole demeanor of the dog changed. And it's like its subconscious thought, if my tail's up, I must be happy. And it kind of started to 
that was the breakthrough. That was the moment at which the dog started to be able to kind of relate to life normally. And that's what happens when we, uh, when we do, uh, you know, some deep breathing. We are consciously behaving in a way that our body would only normally behave in when we're relaxed. It's normally only when we're totally relaxed that we have that long exhale. And when we do that consciously, what we're saying to our body is it's okay. We're safe. We're okay. Everything's fine. And then all our hormones kind of respond to that. Okay, we don't need to be, you know, pumping the epinephrine around. We can we can just let it all, um, we can switch out of sympathetic mode into parasympathetic and life can carry on. And that's, it's, it's that's why it works. It's very, very simple and straightforward. It's a little biohack to help your body understand that everything is okay. That email that's just come from your boss isn't going to threaten you. It's not going to take your life. It's just an email from the boss. I like that theory. I, I, I think I subscribe to that theory, yeah. <laughs> well, we haven't got... Uh, we've, it's flown by, as, as always, these, these episodes seem to go so quick, but... We, we kind of touched upon reading before. Is there, is there a book that you particularly like that you would recommend to listeners? And it could be, could be business related. It could be just something that just relaxes you before you go to bed or whatever, or more than one. If you're welcome to choose more than one. Um, I think one of the best books, uh, at the moment. Oh gosh, that's just really different. So many good books. No, I, I'm going to stick with my original thinking. The best book to make all of this really accessible to people is um, The Four Pillar Program by Dr. Rongan Chatterjee. Um, I'm a huge fan of Dr. Rongan. He's actually got a wonderful um, radio show on, on BBC Two at the moment as well, which is which is great. It's on a bit late in the evening. That's the only problem. But he's a wonderful, wonderful man. And he's, he's, he's written a number of books. So there's The Four Pillar Program. There's the... Um, uh, the stress one, and I can't remember the name of the latest one, but they're all brilliant and they're all worth reading. But as a start point, the Four Pillar Program, it just looks at the four key areas of our lives, which include sleep, stress, diet, and movement, and how we can um, incorporate positive choices around those four pillars in an easy, easy way. And he just sets it out in this in this um, kind of super relaxed, accessible non-judgmental way which is really which is really really good totally recommend yeah, and it, I love the way he comes across in his podcast he's got he seems to me uh, he has a lot of integrity he's not trying to sell things to people all the time and he's very yeah I like the way that he phrases things and presents things yeah yeah and I, he, he's fascinating actually because he he started off as a obviously he's a GP he's a, he's a medical doctor um but he realized that for most of his patients that he was dealing with, there was, you know, there were like simple things that they could change in their lives that would make a big, big difference. So he's come, you know, I, I came in through through my personal route. He, he came in just from looking at, at all his patients. Yes, looking at all his patients and then just joining the dots and working out, hang on, there's some common threads here that, you know, that are going to make a big difference to people's lives. It's the next. I mean, I've read a few of his books, and that "Feel Better in Five" has got some really good tips for people 
who are struggling in certain areas with nutrition or stress or sleep or whatever the case may be, exercise and, and so on. Yeah. 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 Well, Fran, if people want to find out more about you, how, where would they look? Um, well, the first place would probably be my website, which is um, www.realhealthandwellness.com. And, uh, and you can message me through the site if anybody wants to, um, wants to do that, or you can ping me an email, which is fran at realhealthandwellness.com. And I'm, I'm here to help people. So I'm really happy to answer questions. I'm really happy to have a, a kind of, um, you know, a bit of a power hour to see if we can sort of sort out some issues for people. So, um, yeah, I mean, my, my, my job is just to help people feel better. That's, and I feel better helping other people feel better, so it's a win-win. <laughs> well, just before we finish, I'm gonna, I, I didn't prep you for this one, so I'm going to put you on a spot. Is there, um, do you have a quotation that you like? Is there any quotations you can think of that stick with you? I think I'm going to have to go back to the... Uh, Hippocrates one of um, let food be thy medicine uh, because I think that as a society our relationship with food is so broken it's so broken um, and we we see we look at food as as um, a way to numb us as a, as a means of entertainment as a uh, to do with status, it's to do with all sorts of things, and we've kind of lost the simplicity of of what food should be about. So yeah, let food be their medicine. Understand which foods are your medicine, and then focus on them. Well, well friends, thank you for your time. It's been um, really interesting. Some of the, the stuff that you know, the stories that you've, you've shared with us, and and your views on things, I think, have been really useful for listeners as well. So thank you. Thank you. And thank you for your brilliant podcast. I love it. It's so, it's just been a fascinating journey for me listening to all your wonderful guests. And I feel very honoured to be on that roster. Thank you, Tony. Well, that's my pleasure. Thank you very much, man. Next week is episode six with Anna Bain. And she's a coach who helps people who are lacking in energy. So if you ever wake up in the mornings and you're, you maybe you will struggle to get out of bed and you can't be bothered to, to go do any exercise and you know, maybe life's sometimes a struggle, well, Anna specializes in helping people like that. She, she has something, she helps people become a lifestyle rebel. And it's all about how she can help people to create more energy in their lives. And that's through the nutrition that they eat and movement that they have or they don't have. And she really helps to transform people. It's a, it's a really good episode. She's got some, a real zest for life. So that's next week's episode with Anna Bain. Hope you enjoyed this week's show. If you know anyone who you feel would get some real value, please do share the episode with them. Why not take a, a screenshot of the, um, of, the, of the episode and send it to whoever you feel would get some benefit from the value that was shared by Fran in this episode. Please do subscribe, leave a review for us and hope you have a great week. See you next week.